You're listening to the Carry On Friends Podcast, Episode 52. Welcome to the Carry On Friends Podcast, where you'll be inspired and empowered to do amazing things in your personal lives, career, business, and community. With your host, Carrie Ann Reed Brown. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Carry On Friends Podcast. My name is Carrie Ann, your host. And I am so glad that you are listening. Today's episode features Jacques Bastien. He is a Haitian American and he is so talented. He's an entrepreneur. He runs several businesses. He is a professor um, at the University of Albany and he's a speaker and he's adding a whole bunch of other things to his name. I'm surprised he is not already or have made it on Forbes's 30 under 30, but he's had other accolades. Um, but before we get into the episode, and I don't want to tell you everything about it, I want to leave some for the interview. This episode is a little different because it's longer than my episodes would normally be. We also recorded this episode at the Indie Creative Network Studios air in Brooklyn. Yay! So big up to Indie Creative Network. Um, that is the on-demand podcast network that I'm, I'm a part of with other amazing podcasters of color. Um, so it was great to to do the episode and see the, the family and, and see Jacques in um, person. Um, very rarely I get to see all of my guests in, in person because of their different locations. So that's pretty excited, um, exciting. The other thing I wanted to remind you guys is that to let's continue the conversation offline or online. Let's continue the conversation online using the hashtag COF podcast. I'm on Twitter. Um, Facebook and Instagram at Carry On Friends. I would love to hear from you. Any questions you have about this episode, any comments, any questions for Jacques, please, you know, tweet Facebook and Instagram and use the hashtag Carry On Friends. Um, it's always great to hear from you. All right. So I don't want to give away too much about the episode. I do believe that it's an inspirational story and um, I'm excited for Jacques and all the things that I know that he's cooking up or he has, you know, coming down the pipeline. But um, I think his story is a story that, you know, will resonate um, with a lot of us um, and the, the immigrant story, but what he's been able to accomplish and he is under 30. So Without any further delay, here's my interview with Jacques. Hello, Jacques. Welcome to the Carry On Friends podcast. How are you? Pretty good. I'm excited to be here. Good. I am excited to be for you to be here because I have a ton of questions to ask you. So um, before I get into my questions, tell the community of friends who you are, where you're representing and all that good stuff. Sure. So uh, my name is Jacques. And if you can't tell, I'm Haitian. What? I was born in Haiti. Nabule, born and raised, um, born 1990, mm -hmm. and in 2000 I came to uh, America. I came to Brooklyn, spoke no English, um, still barely speak English, <laughs> and 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 it's just been a very interesting journey since then. Um, you know, I went to school in Brooklyn, then eventually I moved upstate New York to Albany, and I've been living there since. But I travel back here, uh, but my family still lives in Brooklyn. Wow. So um, you're traveling back and forth between Albany and Brooklyn. That's like a, a really nice commute. About three hours. Yeah. So tell the audience a little bit about what you do, 
what Jacques has been up to. Yeah, which, I mean, I should also say I'm very honored to be here. It's, there are a lot of times that I always tell people I'm not what, like as a person, I'm not what my LinkedIn profile says. Yeah. And it's hard because I think people naturally put me in this pedestal Mm -hmm. that I don't even put myself in. But I think it's just because I was born in Haiti, being born to nothing, it's, you appreciate what you have, but you don't let it kind of take over the person you are. You know what I mean? So with that disclaimer, uh, I am a, uh, there are a few things that I do. I'm an instructor at University of Albany. I teach a UI UX design course to, to two different groups of students, about 75, 75 students this semester. Uh, that's where I graduated. I do a lot of writing. I have a book I'm writing called Fake It, Make It, oh. which is... Uh, it's a book about the last the last four years of me kind of starting a business and what that journey's been like. Right. So instead of waiting until the end of the journey, once I've made it, once I've say I've sold the business or something like that, I figured I don't get a chance to read many books that were written almost like journal style, like as the entrepreneur is going through it. I was just about to say you're writing a journal, and I'm a big journal person. My, yeah. you know, I'm I have my journal in my back. I'll tell you about that story one separately. No, it's yeah. right, but like you know, it's a book that's being written as it goes. Like this morning, me and my wife were having a conversation, and I told her to text me something because we hold things for each other. I just I'll text her something and say hold, and that means like remind me of this later. Mm-hmm. But I asked her to text me something we were talking about because I want to include it in the book in the specific chapters. But anyways, I'm writing a book called Fake It, Make It, which uh, the subtitle is How to Make It in Life, Business and Relationships. And it's like uh, just the last four years how I've been able to kind of get to the position I am today. You know, I've, I've written a lot of things for other publications. I've been featured in a bunch of publications, Inc. Magazine, Forbes, etc., but I think what most people know me for is a marketing agency that I run called Boogie. Boogie is a marketing agency uh, that I started while I was in college. I started as a graphic designer designing party flyers for nightclubs. <laughs> and that kind of eventually grew to what it is today. And today we have a team of eight with, uh, you know, we have an office. Our headquarters is upstate New York, mm-hmm. but we have two satellite offices in Brooklyn, uh, New Williamsburg, and I'm um, in L.A. And we help companies reach today's generation. That's the long story short version. You know, technically we're a full service marketing agency, which means we can do anything from getting your billboard up there to getting your website done to your branding. And most of these things we do in-house. But in terms of like how are we different? from say all the other agencies out there we're probably one i'm not going to say one of the most but we're very diverse and young agency the oldest person at the company is um he just turned 30 (laughs) yeah he just turned 30 so the youngest person at the company is 30 so we're all between the ages of 22 and 30 and we help our clients reach the 22 to 30 kind of crowd so it's like we're helping them reach people People like us us, yeah and and you know we have a hispanic white, black. So it's a very diverse team, uh, you know, men, women, et cetera. So we're able to come from things from all different angles. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of companies make certain mistakes because they have a lack of diversity within their team. Mm-hmm. It's like a bunch of guys creating a campaign for a brand that reaches out to women or something right. like that. You know what I mean? And then, you know, so through Boogie, we've also started a bunch of other brands. In the past, we started a company called Pretty Simple, which was a printing company, which, uh, you know, how far I got with that is I got to the point where there was a company who wanted to acquire Pretty Simple, offer us a a million dollars to, and then have me and the team come into their offices and just build it there. Mm -hmm. But that would require us kind of letting go of Boogie. And although I'm pretty sure the team would have an issue with it, it's that they didn't sign up for Pretty Simple, they signed up for Boogie. Boogie. So 
And I also wanted to build that company as well. So I ended up saying no to that. And time passed and that mar- that company, what we were wanting to do with it, a lot of the other printing companies out there kind of beat us to it. So mm-hmm. we eventually rest, you know, RIP that company. Last year, July, we launched another company called Breadcrumbs. Breadcrumbs is a web development company. And it's a service we offer uh, to clients of Boogie, but when we're building websites for clients, our you know minimums are probably at least $25,000. So we started looking at creating a solution that we can offer to small businesses. Mm-hmm. And for Breadcrumbs, we decided to uh, launch this company where we're still building our clients uh, a custom design website. And through that process, we're able to do it for $250 a month. What? So that was, and, and so 250 a month, you get a, Custom website, you get support, and we kind of fix it for you and everything. Um, and we've been running that since last July. Nice. And I'll talk a little bit about breadcrumbs. And then most recently, about a week, a month and a half to two months ago, we launched a company called Shade, which is uh, an influence and management agency where instead of what we normally do, which is work on, on behalf of our clients, mm-hmm. where we, you know, our clients, the brands, they give us a certain amount of budget and we go and try to recruit influencers for them and get more bang for their buck, essentially. We're on the opposite side of representing the uh, creators, whether those are bloggers, podcasters, YouTubers, Instagrammers, Viners, whatever it is. You know, our goal is to come in as their marketing arms and help them brand themselves, grow their audience, et cetera, and then make them more attractive to brands. And then eventually after that, uh, actually get them deals. And since we launched that company, we now have about 20 creators that we represent, about 60 more that it's like we're still reviewing to decide if we want to move forward with them or not. Uh, and we've gotten a chance to work with a few clients to we're not there yet, but we're we're close to having being able to say that we paid off five figures to creators since we started, which is in about two months. So we imagine by the end of the year or at least early next year we'll be able to get that. We we see just from kinda of how things have been going since we launched the company uh in stealth mode. You know, we didn't really announce it. It was mm-hmm. like no one really knew it existed. For the uh stuff we've had so far, we're I think we're excited about where it's going. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm one of those people who I see something I like, I have this belief that the first person to do anything taught themselves. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I have this belief that I can teach myself anything as long as I have access to Resource. things, you know, resources, whether that is, you know, this is the same way I learned to break dance, which fun fact, that's <laughs> where, that's where the name Boogie came from. Okay. Um, my nickname used to be Jay Boogie. Uh, but whether me learning to break dance or um, learning to play the guitar, all of that was I saw somebody doing it. I thought it was interesting and also believe that I can teach myself. So, you know, kind of found the resources and, and told myself the same way. And I'm saying that to say I know that, you know, Shade is not the last company we start. Shade is, you know, you know, I scratch itches. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can um, talk deeper about kind of why a company like Shade exists or why. Uh, earlier this year, we decided to kind of change Boogie to being a multicultural marketing agency versus just a regular agency that we were before. Um, but all of those decisions were me and, and my wife and some members of our team kind of scratching our own itch. I know that's something you, you mentioned earlier. Yeah, You said a lot, yeah. and I'm taking notes because there are so many little <clears throat> things I want to touch on. But I do just want to say that I know what you mean when you say you're not your LinkedIn profile. When you come from humble beginnings, sometimes it's very hard to feel like, well, I'm here. And you're thinking like, I'm not even doing half of what I really want to do. So it's almost (laughs) like 
No, don't hype on me right now because I'm still trying to get to where I know I need to go. So I do understand that. But celebrate these wins because, you know, you're leading an example for a generation that as far as their parents concerned, doctor, lawyer, Mm -hmm. engineer, Mm -hmm. bank, well, back in the day, (laughs) banker. But those are the the roles you should aspire to. So here you are you know, literally touching different aspects of the market, whether you're teaching UX, user interface, web design, all of that stuff. You have a multicultural marketing agency. You're also doing the influencer aspect of it. So you have a 360 view of marketing and marketing for multicultural Did you know that family travel has the incredible power to shape our children's worldview and create lasting memories? In a world where representation is often lacking, it's essential for our children to see themselves reflected in every aspect of life, including the stories we tell about travel. Introducing the Travel of Legacy podcast, where we're rewriting the script by celebrating the diverse voices of black and brown family travelers. Each episode of Travel of Legacy is a testament to the enriching power and the joy of exploration in black and brown communities. So journey with us and subscribe now. People, you know, Caribbean people, we're in this market and... Mm -hmm. We're struggling a little bit in this market. So, which is why I'm so happy that you are here. All right. So, um, and I'm like resonate every, so many things, you know, I'm going to take a lot of notes because you're talking and you know, you're right. I'm writing as to, to remember journaling a book. That is amazing because if you don't write it as it happens, you lose the effect, Mm -hmm. the emotion of how it felt when you were going through what you were going through. All right. So first question, as an entrepreneur, I'm going to approach this two ways, the entrepreneurial aspect and then from the content creator aspect. So as an entrepreneur, how how did you manage to scale your businesses to the point where you're able to start one, know when to create another opportunity? Because from my experience, I see a lot of companies try to do everything under one umbrella and Mm -hmm. then it dilutes the brand and make it very hard to manage. So how did you manage to do all of that? That's a good question. Um, I think, so for me, it's the things I I, I live by and that I stand for. It's hard work, hustle, and faith. Hmm. And and that's like everything that I've done the last few years, that's the category I put them under, just hard work, um, hustle, and faith. And, you know, I I don't have, uh, and it's great because, so a lot of time I, I do a lot of public speaking, And one of the things I try to leave the audience with is that there's nothing special about me, you know, not in the sense of like, there's nothing special, you know, like, I mean, you know, I'm confident in myself, you know, I've worked hard to get where I am today. But what I'm saying is the, the life of working hard and having faith is one that we all have access to, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So that's what I mean by there's nothing special about me. I, I mean, if anything, I had negatives, I had things against me. You know, and but those are the things. And, and this is I say this all the time, you know, entrepreneurship for my my I was I, I talked about it with my grandparents. It was entrepreneurship because my uncle was a fisherman and my aunt would buy stuff. Mm-hmm. But for them, it's survival. Right. And that is what we have different as 
immigrants. Mm -hmm. It is survival. We just know that, yo, we have to figure out how we're going to eat, how we're going to make money, how we're going to something. And because we remember what it's like, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, not in a negative way, because I was just talking to my friends where I grew up and I didn't realize we were poor when we were just eating rice and butter. But it was so good, (laughs) this rice and butter. We were arguing over which who had the section of the rice with the most butter. Mm Mm-hmm. But that allows us to say, wow, we lived that. We were cool. So imagine what we can put our efforts to. Just Mm -hmm. like you said, that hard work. Because it's built into us at this point. So it's just how we find the right opportunities to leverage. I agree. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. So yes, you hard work and hustle. And that... You know, it's you're right. It's nothing special, but you've used that. You've leveraged that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's there. There are a few things that I say over and over, and I've been saying them for the last few years because they're they're my life. You know, there there are twenty four hours in a day. You know, things like that, which means there you can look at it as there are only twenty four hours in a day, or there's a whole twenty four hours in a day. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I've stayed up for two two days straight before doing things, and it's not. You know, I don't talk about things to 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 both sorts, but it's just letting people know that it's not supposed to be easy. Like mm-hmm. it's it's not like, you know, you graduate college, you go through it and you go apply for a job, you get that job and then you work there for five years and then you become you get promoted and promoted. Then you eventually become, say, director or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's great. And but that's like a track that was pre-written. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When you want to do things that you've never done, you know, like like there there's a quote uh, I forgot who said it, but it's like if you want things you've never had, you have to be willing to do things you've never done. Mm-hmm. You know, like the route that I went is not one that one exists in a lot of places, right. and two, you know, because of my lack of knowledge, I didn't know. I never looked into like oh, I should get a mentor. I should see someone else who's doing what I want to do and kind of emulate you know, what they're doing and try to copy them. So I kind of went about the whole thing alone. So to me, because of my lack of knowledge, I was the only one doing what I was doing, you know? So with that said, it is hard work, uh, hustle and faith. You know, it's, you know, when I, I was born in Haiti, you know, um, came to America. We were somewhat middle class in Haiti. The moment we touched land, you know, it's like when you drive away in the car in the dealership and the moment you leave the lot, it's like worthless. Mm -hmm. The moment we touched ground here, we became, we were poor, you know? It's like the same amount of money in Haiti makes us middle class, but as soon as we got here, we were like hood poor, you know, like uh, one pair of shoe for the whole year poor, uh, payless, you know, mm-hmm. that. I think I had Adidas shoes one time that had, so Adidas has three, three lines? Three. Okay. You I had, had Adidas four. that had four one time, <laughs> and I didn't know. Right. So like, I'm just wearing it like, oh, proud. Yeah, my dad got me this. I think there's a Adidas. I didn't, you know, I had an accent or something like that, um, <laughs> but but I'm saying like that's that's the life I know, you know what I mean? So and 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 it's weird because I I wouldn't have it any other way though, you know what I mean? Because that's what made me the person I am today. Right. But, you know, went to college uh from here, went to um UAlbany and you know, I did different things here and there in school to make money. I, I started cutting hair. Mm-hmm. Um I started cutting hair in 2008. Yeah, the first year I went there, I started cutting my my, my friend's hair cuz I wanted to cut my hair cuz I didn't want to spend money and eventually had a barbershop on campus. I was cutting about um, 20 haircuts. I was given about 20 haircuts a week wow. on campus. And so I don't cut anymore. I only cut myself and my wife. Right. But uh, all those little, little things I were doing, I was doing, yeah, they were fun and cute, but I didn't have any money. Like, right. I, I, it was a matter of 
survival. You wanted them, you know what I'm saying? And and not only that too, uh, it's especially the world and the country we live in. As people of color and as we're already set back. You know what I mean? Like a lot of times, if you're a millennial or someone younger than your parents and you're making a, a decent amount of money, that say that would put you under upper or lower class or middle class or whatever class you want to be in. You know, and there was another person right next to you that's making the same amount of money. Our money goes backwards while yeah. theirs go forward. forward. You know, yeah. so even while in Albany, my little haircut money was going back to my dad. It was going back to my family who lived in the hood in Brooklyn and stuff like that. So that's the life that I'm used to. You know what I mean? So because of that, giving my father my last 20, for example, because he needed that to maybe do groceries, that's, that was nothing to me. So the same way, even now in business, when I graduated college and I spent, you know, I took, you know, I took a risk. And I got an office space because I was I was already freelancing and I realized that if I wanted to take things to the next level, people wouldn't trust me if I didn't have an office. So I needed to appear like a bigger business. So I needed an office, even if it was just me working there. That still looks like something. And it goes back to why the book is called Fake It, Make It, because it's it's a lot of things that I do that I did in the past. Right. That has led to where we are. But I had to do them first to be able to get to them. You know, so um, but I. I signed a lease at the office up there, and and I talk about this. This is probably the the biggest risk I've ever taken in my life. I signed a lease and I put all my savings in that office. And when I was done, I had two hundred dollars left to my name. You know, this wasn't two hundred with um a savings account or a credit card or parents. You know, mm-hmm. it's just two hundred, like two hundred, and then obviously student loans were were gonna come knocking in a few months. Um, so but that's the risk I took, and. You know, and I'm, I get pretty transparent about things like that, figures and numbers. Upstate, where, where, where you know where the office is, um, my bill monthly was about uh, $1,800, including the office. The office was about 800 My house was about 400 because I had a roommate. Mm-hmm. And then my car insurance was like 200 Then, I don't know, eat and survive, other stuff. So about $1,800, and I didn't have a job because it was just my freelance career that I just invested my last $2,000 into this office but you know three years later which was in 2015 last year we moved to a new office and you know i was reflecting it was a very i mean that it was uh august 2015 i was reflecting a lot and had done an interview with startup grinding out in like i almost teared up because i i'm thinking back like i've never been late on like one payment for this office i've never like you know what i mean and it's it is is nothing but trade hard work Hustle and faith. And hard work and hustle is what it sounds like. But what I mean by faith is, so I have like two sources of faith, right? There's like the typical entrepreneurial faith that you have. Like, I believe in myself. I think I can do it. I'm going to do it. I have faith. Then I also have that godly faith, Mm -hmm. which is almost like having two sources of faith. And it's, it's really hard to lose when you have two. I mean, one source of faith is already good enough. But to have that, I know I can do it. I got it. Things will work out in my favor. But then also knowing that I know God got me, you know right. what I'm saying? So for me, that's what I mean when I say hustle, hard work and faith. And that's I mean, there is a lot of, you know, stories and things like that. But I've thought about this. And if I had someone, anyone ever asked me, like, how would you categorize the last few years of your life? It is straight, straight, hard work, hustle and faith. All right. All right. So getting back to scaling, mm-hmm. how did you scale Boogie? How how? How can you? I think that's a challenge that I recognize a lot of entrepreneurs have. It's knowing 
how fast you're growing, when to scale, when mm-hmm. to stay put. You recognize, for instance, for instance, with Boogie and um, Pretty Simple, mm-hmm. you knew that. Well, you started this to to satisfy a need. But, you know, recognizing that a million dollars being offered for that company wasn't worth losing another company. So mm-hmm. in, in a way, there's two questions, scaling boogie and then recognizing which opportunities are the right opportunities to take. Yeah. And I'll answer them backwards. So the reason that we didn't go forward with the with the pretty simple thing was because um, it, you know, I, I got into entrepreneurship by accident. I never set out and said, I'm going to own businesses and give jobs like that's not that was right. you know i was I had a very simple uh goals and aspirate you know i wanted to be a pediatrician because that's what my parents wanted me to be you know <laughs> and then doctor yes exactly and and you can tell i was confused because i went to college uh a bio major a music major i went, I went from bio to music to um to computer science to information science all in the same first semester like i, I was still trying to figure things out but um but once I got into work, the position I am, I realized how important it was, you know, and, and this is these a lot of these revelations came to me later on in life, you know, more recent, like the last year, for example, was completely different than the last three years, the last four years. And I'll, and I'll go into that a little later. But um, it's I realized that by taking that opportunity, I would become an employee of that mm-hmm. company. And there's nothing wrong with being an employee. Right, I right. tell people you're like. It's not everyone is made for this. Like, right. it's it's hard to say, but to be a good leader, like, you have to be one of the most selfless people that you know, and that like it's it's a difficult thing to be. And a lot of times you're never ready, but you also gotta be the kind of person who's willing to commit to working to get better and get better, mm-hmm. and you know, put your ego to this. Like, I mean, it's a lot of it's difficult, and there are people who can't do it. So for me, I saw that going that route would just made us an employee and if that company worked or didn't work that would be fine then I'd have to look for a job at some other time in life uh, I'm sure the money was was interesting it was probably the most I've never heard that kind of money before like there's a chance that I can have that kind of money as a budget to work with but it, it didn't really excite me you know what I mean and in terms of scaling and you know, I mean it's you know it's how was Rome built right what, what did people say a day or something Rome, Rome wasn't, wasn't built in a day. day it's like whatever Is it was really one day at a time like it's you know, I'd so, and it goes back to this fake and make it right. Like my office, this new office we moved to, it's two thousand square foot, uh, and you know, I mean, we like I sketched it the way I wanted to look, and the mm-hmm. construction people did it. But the first office, it was about eight hundred square foot. It was in the basement. It actually looks very similar to this. You know, you couldn't jump too high. <laughs> your, <laughs> your head, uh, you can. You know, I wasn't very tall, but tall people came there to kind of duck. You know, it's definitely humble beginnings, but you know hooked it up so it looked nice enough but that office for example what the new office what they did in two weeks took me five months to do in that first office Mm. so i you know paid the money to put uh you know to get the lease and everything sign everything in the first month but there was no furniture in there so then i started working so during the day i would work flyers brochures whatever i could whatever money i have left and I'm making this up. I would drive from Albany, which is about three hours, from Albany to Brooklyn, to Ikea, to get one desk to go mm-hmm. back up. Because I only had enough money for gas in one desk. Mm-hmm. So what I say, you know, it took me five months because one day I would go down and I would get two tables. Maybe they cost $40 each. I don't know, you know. And then I would go back up, set them up. Okay, cool. 
We have two tables now. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, another day I go down, we have chairs now. Mm-hmm. We have this now. We have that now. But if you had met me five months after I signed the lease, you'd come in and be like, this is beautiful. Mm-hmm. But the end between, that was that one day at a time thing. So, you know, what we were able to do for this office instantly, for the first office, it was little by little. So, the first five months, I was very strict about not letting any client come to the office. So the first five months, we were just spending, wasting money because we were paying the rent, but weren't doing anything with it. Right, no and you know, went to, I went to YouTube, learned how to paint. I uh, had friends come over, we painted the office. I uh, went to Home Depot, put down carpets. It was a beautiful spot. Mm-hmm. Everything, you know, went to YouTube, learned how to build walls, build a few walls. I mean, and I would say, if this don't work, I'm going to go into construction. <laughs> but it's... It goes back to that self-taught thing, right? Um, so, but I mean, our office, it was myself, my best friend, and my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. We built that office, at, you know, as it was. But it was little by little. So we're talking about the physical space in terms of how do you scale. But when you think of how do you scale a business in terms of, like, how do you go from one to eight employees, I mean, it was it was difficult. You know, we're talking about... Having no money was probably the, the best and worst things about about it because I had to, not having money, I had to figure out how to do it without. Mm-hmm. But then it was the worst thing because you didn't have any money. But it was the best thing because I had to figure it out. Yeah. And that knowledge you just have now. So, I mean, I went through a lot of like, you know, have free interns and then that worked out, but that ain't worked out. And mm-hmm. then I was try another thing or try distress. I'll, I'll pay somebody a certain amount of money that that we don't have like i mean it's just it literally was like one day at a time you know it's like all right we can afford to hire one person now as an intern and train them really well so that they become you know everyone except for one except for two people at the company all the remainder are people who used to be interns because we couldn't afford to hire anyone straight out here's Mm -hmm. your so we had to hire them as free interns first, and then a little stipend, then a little more stipend, a little more stipend, a little by little, which is kind of how we got here, you know. So, two weeks ago, we hired a new chief of um, CEO, uh, the person running the company now, um, alongside me, and that was one of our first like direct hires. Without like, you didn't have to be an intern, you didn't have to like right. work your way up, you know what I mean? And even moments like that, it's. Like you think about it, like wow! I remember the days where I had a friend come and help me, or if I had a meeting, for example, I'd ask three of my friends to come to the office so it could look like there's people that work there because right. I know that they may not trust. Although I was doing all the work, they just didn't know the the just the way it looks. They want to see that oh, this looks like a team. Okay. These guys look like they'll, that they'll be here for the next few years. I can trust my brand with them, and and it sucks. But I mean, these are the different kind of ways I have to try to finesse things to to make it work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, and it's weird to say, but it's not like, a, you know, and that's why I write them sometimes, but I can't stand like listicles. Like 10 ways to grow your business or five ways because it doesn't work for everybody. It's different. Right. And, and so what I'm hearing you say, which is, you know, scaling because the way the question is was posed and the way I've seen it and the challenge we kind of have with scaling is, and and from what your experience is, if you're looking to scale, you have to get used to the risk of making the mistakes in the wrong hires, you know, getting people, they don't work out, paying money for a consult. They're going to happen, but it's, you have to go through that process as part of scaling. Definitely, There's no 
quick, easy, correct answer to how to scale your business. Yeah. Because there, there, you know, there's 24 hours in a day, but there are only 24 hours in a day. Mm-hmm. You know, meaning there's a there's a limit to how many how much you can do yourself. Right. You know what I mean. So it's a it goes both ways, and because of that, you need people. Mm-hmm. I think I was blessed and lucky that you know someone like my wife came into my life because you know she had a career um in, you know out of high out of college so we were still finding ourselves when we met which was great because we then we didn't come with any like baggage or anything like that you know what i mean mm-hmm. and she had a job uh and um led she was like working for an assembly man or something like that and she was always a fantastic writer that's kind of what attracted me to her and in 2013 she graduated December 2012, 2013. She finished her term at the job and she was going to go for another one, but she ended up um, coming to work at Boogie full time. So, I mean, it's just two broke kids <laughs> trying to run a company. <laughs> but it's, you know, if you think back to the story, it's like, oh, it's beautiful. And back to there are only 24 hours in a day. At that moment, the moment she joined us now, although she didn't know as much as I knew, they, at that point, my days started having 48 hours. Right. You know, because now, you have two people, technically, who are not paid, who are working t- like twenty four seven on building this thing. Right. So, like in the morning, we may be the designers, but then after that, we play the role of accountant. Then we play the role of so all the different things that you'd need to do that people would have to pay, pay for, for. We didn't have the money to pay for it, so we had to do it ourselves. In some in cer- certain ways, I I don't think it's a bad idea to have a partner. Not like a life partner, but just a business partner. Mm-hmm. I just have never had. Uh, I mean, I've had my wife, but I've never had like a formal business partner. But I think there's some benefits to it because you can share the the losses, you share right. the expenses. Um, but I know that it it was definitely you got to take those risks. You know, when when we were making thirty thousand dollars a year, that there's a year where at the end of the year we made thirty thousand dollars for the year. This was 2012, I think. Mm-hmm. 2012, I think we made twenty thirty whatever thirty thousand for the year. I had hired someone who was making forty thousand dollars. Like, hmm. if you think of, you know, I hired him in May, but if you just think of the the risk factor of that amount, there was no projection. Like, oh, we're going to, like, those, like, I wasn't, I'm not training business. I didn't have any experience in this. I kind of learned it as I went. But being willing to pay someone $40,000, right. which whatever that becomes on a monthly basis, when you are not even making, making nowhere that. near that, mm-hmm. it that's the kind of risk I was taking, you know? And made sure I work hard enough to try to to make up for it. So in the case of that, for example, the guy I spoke to him and he had said he's coming as our marketing officer and he's going to bring us new clients and all that kind of stuff. He sold me a dream and I bought into it. But, um, you know, I said, all right, I'm going to I think we can at least pay him for three months. So I say I prolong hiring him and I save some money to be able to hire him. And I had three months of three months, excuse me three payments of money saved up mm-hmm. and then i knew that all right by that time that he should hopefully make it so that we don't have to do it anymore and uh you know he didn't and there was nowhere near and then we had some conversation that he eventually uh parted ways with the company but like those were the kind of risks that i took because i didn't have mm-hmm. so in essence then if you if you're an entrepreneur there's some level of risk that you want to take on but if no one's going to take the level of risk that you took you know, then scaling shouldn't be as fast as we think it should be. It's it, it's going to be slower. The more risks that you take, I guess what I'm hearing from you and what it's demonstrated through all the business, the faster you'll grow. Yeah. Um, 
the less, and it's not a bad thing. It is just based on a person's circumstance. So for myself, I work a full-time job. I do the podcast. I do this, you know, business on the side. I can't take all those risks, yeah. uh, you, you know, that it, it may, you've, you've it may, taken. No, I'm thinking too. It may also be the amount of time you've put into the business too, right. you know, because like I, I think about, there are a lot of other barbers on campus when I was cutting hair. But when I wasn't cutting hair, I was researching how to cut better, for example. And that's all time being put into the business. While I think some of the other barbers, when they weren't cutting, they were living life or whatever mm-hmm. they're doing. So then, like, I made less mistakes. So I was more consistent. Now people came to me more. It's definitely time, too, because one thing I've learned is there's no such thing as overnight success. Mm-hmm. And if it does look like it, it's not going to last. Yeah. Uh, I've seen people who had instant viral hits and then it just doesn't last because you still need that strategy piece. So everyone, like a lot of people we admire today who are, whether entrepreneur, entrepreneurs or whoever they are, from your Kevin Hart's to your Gary Vaynerchuk, different people, uh, one thing they have in common is they've been in the game for some time, right. you know? And even myself who, you know, I started designing in 2008 or so, like I consider myself as not, I'm definitely not those guys, but I've spent a lot of time because day and night, you know what I mean? Like I've, what a normal person would spend doing things, I would give, I would go 24 hours, 48 hours. So when a company like Shade launched, for example, you know, somebody could look at me and go, man, you launched that thing in a month and a half, you guys are already making money. You have 20 people sign up. Mm-hmm. Like that's fascinating to people, but it's like, I've been working on that since wait. You know, right. it's stuff I've learned since then that's allowed us to get to that point. Right, right. It's what you see um, someone said like um, bamboo grows underground for like maybe five or ten years mm. before it, you know you see right. it grows up or something. I can't remember how long, but when they said it, it was just like really. So a lot of times when you see someone's accomplishments on the surface, you fail to see mm-hmm. you know how long it's been in the soil, covered up in the dirt. Things it's been living life underground right. for a long time. So that's. So that's cool. All right. So breaking off your businesses because they are different. You, you've really covered the spectrum. When did you recognize that you had to create like complementary businesses to the previous business? Mm-hmm. So with Boogie and then you created different ones. When, when is, when was the right time? When mm-hmm. do you know it's the right time to do that? That's a great, I think that's a great question. So one thing I've learned about myself and I can't stress the importance of you know, knowing who you are and knowing like what works for you, what doesn't focus on your strength and just ignore your weaknesses. Unless you need them, then you work to get them better. But one of the things I realize I enjoy, I love creating the process of creating things, whether it's designing or writing a speech down or like the process of creating. And, and that also includes creating businesses. So I know that was an itch that I will always have. I'll always be like, huh, what if we like, I always have that. And, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, one of the biggest things that they say in business, you need to focus, focus on one thing and not nothing else. That's one of the hardest things for me to do, you know, <laughs> and I know that about me. And I know that. So in- instead, I decided if I ever do anything, it would need to align so that it could be ran by the same team and it would feel like the same business, just a different thing. Right. So most of those things that we have, they were services we already offer at Boogie that there may be a, a unique offering or something that a lot of people appreciated where we decided let's brand it and give it a new name, but it was still ran by the boogie team. So same thing for breadcrumbs, which was, you know, we, a lot of companies kept on coming to us and saying, Hey, we don't have any money. Uh, we don't have any money, 
but we really want your level of work. So we started looking into how do we do it. So then we decided where what we're going to do is if we find frameworks, uh, there's something called the Twitter bootstrap framework and those other technical things that already exist where the base is already there. Mm-hmm. Almost like if this was, if the person was looking for an office, for example, the basement right here, the, uh, the, where we are now already existed, we'll tell them, all right, we'll build you a spot. We'll take this to, we'll put carpet, we'll paint it, we'll make it look pretty and it'll look like you. But the framework's already there. Right. We didn't start from scratch. So the same way we do with the website, and that's how we've been able to do it. We were, you know, so affordable. But that was an extension of our services. So our same guy who runs our web on and Boogie, he's the same guy who runs that side of the company as well. And Shade, which is, it seems like a departure because it's like your client is now the people who's looking to reach your current clients. Mm-hmm. But it kind of puts us in the same space because we're already doing it. Right. And the service we offer our clients on the Shade side is that it allows us to now cast creators for them if they need uh, things. And it's not like on the boogie side, we won't cast creators for campaigns that needs everyone. It's just there's also a unique market where we just want to focus, you know, again, scratching our own itch on a platform that focus on black and brown creators only. So that's kind of where something like Shade came in, you know, but a lot of it is, you know, the thing that I do, which is my personal brand, public speaking and booking, et cetera, those are probably the most non-boogie related as possible uh, mm-hmm. things. But even still, those things, if this conversation we're having now would fit under my personal brand, the last few minutes we've only been talking about boogie. So they're still co- they're still related in some way. Right. It's not like I'm here today, but tomorrow I have a construction job I'm doing. So one of the things is I try to keep them, um, I definitely try to keep them together. Now, in terms of when is the right time, it's it's hard to it's hard to tell. It's hard because if one thing's not fully working, but like you see another opportunity for something else, there are some that may say, "Well, go to that thing and see." You know, keep pivoting until you see something that works. Mm-hmm. For me, I was like, I want both to work. You know, mm-hmm. and, and it's weird. And I had to. There was a time where, like, even my personal stuff, I had to like put it on pause. You know, I don't write as many blogs anymore because I want to get boogie to a certain point where. We can hire a CEO who can now do some some of the running things where I can now get back to interviews and doing some of the things that I, I genuinely enjoy doing. Right. You know, so you're going to have to make that decision. But it, it's hard because I think it's going to be based on who you are. Like, it's hard for me to say this is when it's the perfect time. Because for me, Shade was a personal, you know, it was that started for personal reasons. You know, it's because I made a realization that I am more than I thought I was. You know, I like I always say, like, I'm nobody's MLK or nothing like that. Um, But I, you know, I had to, like, get out of myself for a second and realize that there are not too many people that look like me doing what I'm doing. Exactly. And that, like, regardless if I want the job or not, I'm I'm a role model to to people that look like me that are younger. You know, so and, and it's a realization I had a year and a half ago, a year ago, where I feel like I had lost my black for the last th- previous three years because, you know, upstate New York is a little, it's not as diverse as it is here. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can hear by the way I speak, this is how it's, this is just how I talk like everywhere, even with my friends and family. And like, I read a lot and I had to, because, you know, if people don't understand you, you're not from here accent. So you have to like work harder to speak better than everybody else. You yep. know, your grandma needs to be better than everybody else so much where now, like I felt like, Every part of me was a me that I worked on to become 
great for my clients or whoever that I forgot who I was. It's like I, I lost my blackness. And then a year ago, I like literally had a break, not a breakdown, but I got to like, like, who am I just as a person? And then that's when I realized that, you know, if I am and if any part of me is a part of the they crew, the they that we talk about then I have the power to be able to do things that they would never do. Like it's hard to, I, I, and there are companies out there, other marketing agencies, but I don't, I don't know who else would be able to do uh, a, a shade, for example, because influence marketing is a very young thing. You know, people like me see value in it. Right. Older marketing whiz people, they may not see the value, but how many, you know, young agencies are out there that are of our caliber to be able to pull something like that off. So it's that realization that, you know, so, and it changed, changed my whole focus to my, my whole life mission now is just everything I do, I ask myself, does this do, does this help with my mission, which is bringing more opportunities to people of color? And if it doesn't, then walk away from it. So what you've just said in essence is what I've been saying, um, being unapologetically Caribbean, Caribbean American, mm-hmm. because like you, my come to culture moment, that's what we can call it. Right. My come to culture moment happened maybe a couple of years ago. And like you, you know, when I came here, I did moot court and mock trial. So you're speaking all right. the time and you have that little accent and you're so conscious. And a lot of us from the Caribbean, we're, we're very conscious of very how true. we're talking. And so like you, I, I read so many books that my husband said, if you buy one more book that you don't know you get, because <laughs> they're stacking up, but you're doing this and, um, to, to polish yourself. Right. To polish yourself because, you know, people are judging you. You know, I go to work and they're like, you're, I'm from Jamaica and they're like, Jamaica, Queens. I'm like, no, Jamaica, the island. Right. They're like, I don't hear an accent. I'm like, it's called code switching. Right. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, we're so good at that because we've learned that people discriminate just by just hearing mm-hmm. something and 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 as part of that we compartmentalize our lives true and but then we're not living the fullness of our life if at home i can talk to you any way i can talk to you but mm-hmm. when i'm at home hi this is carrie and how may i help you today yes. like you you're just like switch so it's just like <laughs> You know, so now I feel like I'm a happier employee, not necessarily as a result of my job, but because I know who I am. I know what I bring to this table Mm -hmm. because I'm a hardworking West Indian woman and I have so many influences and variety that I've been exposed to. That I know other people don't. don't. I have a perspective that other people don't. When you come from the Caribbean, because over here, they have heavy rotation. I remember growing up in Jamaica on Sunday, you're here in Bossa Nova. Who, 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 <laughs> who does that? Right. You know, and you're like, people are like, what is that? And I'm like, we hear the sun every Sunday. And we used to be like, could you turn that off? Right. So we have that culture, come to culture moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I love that because we need shade. Yeah. So now let's talk about what Caribbean content creators are doing or are not doing so they could be a part of an influencer network and reap the benefits. Cause I, let me just say this. It's not that they aren't. Cause I feel that they are like Afro Bella. She is, um, very popular. She's, she, she, she has Trindanian background, but I think specifically those who are 
not only of Caribbean descent, but those who are saying, I'm a Caribbean person. That's what they're telling everyone. And mm-hmm. I think the challenge there is how do they get into, how do they become more marketable or profitable mm-hmm. in an influencer marketing situation where their their background or their culture is what they're using as part of their brand? So I think it's weird because it's like, in order the my answer to that is they have to do what we did, and, and which is code switch, mm. which is not what you should be doing. You know what I mean? Because unfortunately, the the world we live in, or the you know just internet, the entertainment, the media, social, all of it is made for, and and we can't we can't necessarily say much because those those platforms like when you know they they're not more than ten years old. A lot of them, you know, but. The people behind them are just people and that are, you know, from this country. And you know kind of how hard, like we're, we're talking about how we had to do, read a little more than everybody else. We had to be a lot more conscious, the, like, you know, the way we're pr- pronouncing things. And, and it's weird, but you don't ha- you're not supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's why companies like shit exist. So like, it's kind of like you're asking, well, how does a young, young black actress, uh, you know, if she doesn't want to change and act a different way, how does she get more opportunities? And while the solution may be for her to code switch a little bit more, mm-hmm. I think the real solution is us who may be in a position to create shows, create more shows mm-hmm. like, you know, more shows like Insecure where you can oh just God. be yourself, you yes. know, more shows like Atlanta where you could, that same talent that you have is good for something. It's just, the, the it doesn't exist. So like when you ask for something like, uh, you know, how does one say like, uh, you know, so shade what we are. We're not the only company who do what we, we do. There are other, uh, so we're not a network because there are networks who just sign up and they'll accept anyone. Then there are, they call them multi marketing channel or something like that. MLN, something like that, where they have a bunch of gigs that come in. They'll like shoot it to everybody. And if you, it's like a, uh, it's like an email list if you want to, but it's like it's organized and everything with a dashboard. But, and they take a percentage out of your stuff as well. For us, we're 100% strictly management. So we're managing, we manage, you know, we're like, this is not, you know, we'll tell you this is the right way to go about it. We're here for you and vice versa. And there's not too many of that that exists. So like a company may need a Caribbean comedian to promote their product, but some of the disconnects are one, they're white or non-culturally diverse or non-culturally conscious marketing director does not know one how to even find him or her two how to even speak to him or her and three if they're even comfortable with what him or her may propose right because it's not i don't we've never done this this is not us this is not our culture right nothing's saying it's wrong but they may trust a company like us because we're like look one the nba trusted us to do some things for them Kinky Curly trusted us to do things for them. These other brands have trusted us to do things for them. You should also trust us. So we're, we are that middleman that I think both parties need. Broker. So that, that influencer, they also, and it's, and it sucks, but they may not have, they may not even know how to code switch, if that means anything, right? Like, like there are ways we present things to clients that is not how an influencer would present it. We present it in a way where it has all the stats, everything. Because we know that word. That's where we used to be from. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side, there are things that from the brand we present to the influencer where we don't present it the same way. It doesn't come off as like an assignment. Like you feel like you're selling your soul. 
it's just a collaboration, you know, but both parties, they, and, and I spent a few months researching sh- like the whole industry before getting into it. And I realized that's, that's what it was, you know, like there's, and, and don't get me wrong, regardless of your accent or whatever, you get to a certain number, you get a certain amount of followers or whatever. Crossover. They don't, they don't, you know, nobody cares. They'll reach out and they'll do yeah. some things, but I'm talking about the under a hundred thousand followers. I'm talking about the <laughs> younger, you know, and even like, you know, we, I know we have 5,000 as, as like say Instagram or something. That's one of our minimums. And, but even there are companies I know who does, it has to be over 20, but, and then there are some that are over a hundred thousand now, a hundred thousand followers. But even for the people who are 5,000, like nobody's looking at them, like especially Caribbean, like no one's, you know, like for us, we're willing to say we could see this person when they get to 100 and we could see what they could be potentially. While other companies, they need them to at least be at that million mark before they start working with them. Um, And it is the typical idea of we just naturally have to work harder. In general, mm-hmm. you know, everything, everything that we do, we have to work harder. So to go back to the original question, the answer I would really give is code switch is, you know, find out how they want to get the info and give it to them that way. Uh, maybe create content that's a little less Caribbean so that a marketing director who doesn't really understand your background could still see some value. But I think that's that's not what it should be. You know right. what I'm saying? So the real solution is kind of like what we're seeing you have a, sh- a show like Luke Cage where majority of the act- actors excuse me majority of the actors and actresses are black um like that's amazing you know right. like uh, there are people who probably were born in certain areas where they don't know anything besides yo what up my g like that's all they know mm-hmm. but shows like that gives them a job that is not it lets to someone like they wanted to be an actor mm-hmm. they can have a job that is fitting it's not like getting Idris Elba to try to act like he's cool. You right. know what I mean? Right. It's like So he'll some... go through, like he'll say, say they have him. Linguist or language training. Exactly. Just to teach him how to, you know, you're Idris, but try to speak a certain way. When like, there are people out there who want this job. Right. Like it, there are people out there. And, and like, and so shows like, all these shows, I mean, I'm, I'm so happy with them because it's like, it's, it's solving that problem. You know, we're not, we may not see it today. We may not see it today, but it's solving it because you have pe- you have America falling in love with people who are good people, like on TV, but like their accents may be like the same person's accent who was shot the other day, right? right. Like so a guy in the hood who like helps somebody, you know, whatever different shows that's out there. So it is there. It is changing. Yeah. It is getting better. Um, but just in general, if I was to just give a general like advice to content creators, you know, it is that. I think, you know, take take themselves seriously that, uh, you know, take like what you have as a business and treat it as so. And also, too, and this is I don't see this in, in any crib. There's one I've seen it in. Like I say, take your, your 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 stuff seriously, but like don't take yourself too seriously, though, because I've seen people who get wrapped up in the numbers like I have two thousand two hundred thousand followers. So that means I just like, you know, there are people who let that speak for them, them right. when it's it's like it's just numbers right. if instagram was to go out like that you have That's zero it. followers i keep saying social media is what we call in jamaica squatter land because uh-huh. <laughs> the listen the minute our capture land right so the minute facebook 
uh, and slash Instagram decide that, oh, I'm changing some rule and all the it's gone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's gone. So you can't really base anything on other people's property, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, so invest in your website, which yeah. is a challenge that I know other content creators are having with Caribbean businesses because they don't see the value of a website yet mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. maintaining the website. So invest in your website. That is your house. You want to fix up your house and then. You can go to other people party and muggle, which is social right, right. media. You model on social media. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I think that's a great, great piece of advice. Take yourself seriously. Have a business. We've spoken on the podcast about having a proper business structure. If you're going to treat yourself as a business mm-hmm. and you want people to take you seriously, have a proper business structure. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the legalities and the, the the financial components that you need to take seriously. So, yeah, so um, as we wrap up, any final words to the community of friends about marketing, you know, being an influencer, content creator, or just anything about life and business in general? I think what I, what I would leave is, uh, you know, when I was young, I used to hear something that was very cliche in school from my parents and everyone. You know, they said, like, you could be anything you want to be. I, th- I think that's the most cliche thing in the world. At least I, I thought it was. And after living the life that I've lived, I think not only can you be th- everything that you ever want to be, there you could be things that you never even thought you would have been. You know, like uh, an immigrant who didn't speak any English writing a book, right? Like stuff like that. Or I'm, I'm in teaching at a, you know, I'm teaching at a, you know, when I went to Albany, it was like top top five or something in New York. It was like a, I don't know what it ranks at now, but I'm saying that's a big university and for me to be teaching there, like all those things. And I had the same background like everybody else. You know, I was born in Haiti, came here, lived from 2010 to 2018, lived in the hood mm-hmm. to, you know, you know, I've seen people get shot. Mm-hmm. I've had the options of being friends with those people. You know, and I chose not to for whatever reason, but I'm just saying like I had similar choices that certain people have, but it's still different because, you know, Lucky for me, I was born in Haiti. I got a chance to like go from one culture to another. So I know that the world is bigger than my direct surroundings. Exactly. And I know that certain people don't have that luxury. Mm-hmm. And it sucks, and it's, but it's the truth, you know. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's a lot. But, you know, in general, I think as long as you're willing to work hard uh, and have faith in yourself and, you know, educate yourself and teach yourself and, and take yourself seriously, but not too seriously. You all can be everything that you want to be. And and not only that, I think we need you to be everything that you want to be. You know, like, it's it's amazing that we have so many artists. It's amazing, you know, ra- rappers. It's amazing that we have so many actors, especially now TVs, you know, uh, what they say, black TVs is blowing up now. Um But, I, I mean, I think we need more. We need yes. more content creators. We need more podcasts we need more authors we need more instructors like we need more people to show our you know our kids that no there's more like it's not just like it it and i think back to like you know you have these schools in the hood who would invite like you know and i mean i love people you know i mean i love everyone but it just you know it is what it is we'd invite like someone who has never stepped foot in the hood to come speak to kids about entrepreneurship like I'm sure what he has to say is great, but it is so irrelevant. Because Out of he, context of their yeah, circumstance. It yeah. does not. You know, like, I'll go speak, you know, I'll, and, you know, because of this, too, like, a lot of time, I only speak 
to um, people that look like me now. You know, in, like if some I was invited to a school earlier this year, and I spoke, I gave a talk about five ways to start a business, and I got broke and kind of like breaking down my years and five things I've learned. And I, you know, it's, it's made for like high school and college kids. And then I did it to all white school, which had a few like brown kids, but they're all like well off, right? And then I did the same speech at a, and it was, at the end I was like, oh great, wow, this is nice. But they spent more time like complimenting my haircut or like my blazer and stuff, which was fine, whatever, right, kids. But I did the same talk two weeks later in Brooklyn at a, at, what school was it? And like, I've never felt so like, like they're listening to everything I'm saying. Mm. Like these kids needed this. Like I may be the only person like that looks like them that they're going to hear throughout their school years. Mm-hmm. And I know that because I don't remember meeting anyone that looked like me. And I'm not even talking about age. I'm just talking about like a black person who's doing something out that I would never imagine doing. Doing. You know, so I think with that, like we need all of you listening to do those things that you want, you know, like, and I'm, I'm a big believer in, 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 you know, jobs. Like I think like, it's a big trend now to be an entrepreneur, which is, which doesn't make any sense because not everybody's made for it. But you know, there are twenty five hours in a day. There are side hustles, and mm-hmm. I know people who were, at the very least, changing the world with their side, side hustles. hustles. You yeah. know, like we need, we need, need, and need those because the world that I hope we can, you know, at least our kids, our kids, kids could see, mm-hmm. it starts with us, yes. and it starts with us doing those things that we want to do the things that you know we got to the position now where we've seen the world bigger than the world that we thought was there when we were younger now we have to take that risk and actually become that thing so that we can inspire the other the generation behind us so well thank you for being on the show um this is so great i there's just so many things and i guess i have some follow-up questions for you off the air but again thanks (laughs) for just being authentic and transparent in your journey. And um, you're always welcome back on the show, if whatever topic you want to talk about. And um, so as I normally sign off, you know, something in Jamaica and say, until next time, everybody, walk good. Okay, friends, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Carry On Friends podcast. For a recap of this episode and other great articles, please visit the blog at www.carryonfriends.com. That's C-A-R-R-Y-O-N-F-R-I-E-N-D-S dot com. You've been listening to Carry On Friends, a show about the Caribbean American experience produced by Breadfruit Media. We post a new episode every two weeks on Tuesday. And if you're looking to learn more, buy our merch or sign up for a newsletter, check out carryonfriends.com or Find us on all social media platforms at Carry On Friends.